One of the hardest jobs for a founder and CEO is to hire a great engineering team. And if you're based in the Bay, competing with the salaries of Google and Facebook does not make it any easier, which is why I'm really excited to introduce our next sponsor, Turing. Turing makes it really easy to build a software engineering team. Go to Turing.com and they will find you hand-selected top-tier engineers that can work with you on a remote basis. Turing.com is backed by Foundation Capital, Founders Fund, other execs from Google, Facebook, Amazon, and more. And they are on a path to help companies like you find a remote engineering team and not spend years doing it. So if this is interesting to you in any capacity, I would check out Turing.com, T-U-R-I-N-G.com. And when they ask you, how'd you hear about Turing? Make sure to tell them you came from the Forward Thinking Founders podcast, specifically tell them Matt Sherman 6, 6 is in the month June, and get that remote engineering team today, not in six months, not in a year, today. And by the way, you get a two-week risk-free trial to give it a shot. So what are you waiting for? Go to Turing.com, T-U-R-I-N-G.com, and I'll see you over there. Now let's get into the show. All right. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we talk to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to Stephen McKee, who is a co-founder of Back Porch Homes. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Good, man. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate you reaching out. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, excited to have you on. You're in a super fun space. Um, something I'm really interested in on how it will kind of unfold over the next decade or so. So kind of to start, for people that don't even know what Back Porch Homes is, can you tell us what you're working on? The simplest way to explain it is it's a tiny home for your backyard. The uh, the ADU space accessory dwelling unit in, in, in California, that's what we call a uh, granny flat um, or a casita or whatever people call it, essentially a guest house, a small one. Um, we factory build the most efficient, uh, well-designed uh, ADU that can be pushed out the factory in a couple of days and installed in your backyard in a very short period of time at what we think is the lowest cost in the industry for the best product. Let's talk about some of the players here. So I, let's say hypothetically, I live in California and I got a nice backyard and some real estate. I'm like, you know what? I want to make some money off this. What, um, how, how do, how would I engage with back porch homes? Like is the, I guess, what is my experience for what you're doing? And can you walk through the user experience through that side? Then we can talk about the other side. Sure. The easiest thing for anybody to do who has any interest in is one of two points of entry. Uh, the, if somebody's very curious, they don't understand what a tiny home is. Maybe they, maybe they want to look and feel the space, right? When, we, when you're going to live somewhere, people want to see it. We have a showroom here at Riverside. Uh, River, if you're from outside of California, Riverside is sort of the central hub of the entire uh, California region. All the freeways sort of connect here as they head out of the state. Um, so that's where our showroom is uh, by the auto dealerships here in Riverside. And then if you are just like, I mean, ridiculous price. Can't wait to have a unit in my backyard. You go online, place your $500 deposit, put you in the queue. Um, we can get the first, we'll have the first set of units out. We were hoping mid-July, but COVID pushed a lot of stuff back. Um, so it's pushing us probably early August. We'll be installing the first 20 or 30 units uh, in August and September. So can you kind of describe to me, because I don't even exactly know myself, what's what's happened with tiny just tiny homes and like that whole that whole movement i feel like i started hearing about them like a couple years ago 
um, I'm, I'm sure it started, the movement started way before them, but like they're kind of blowing up. It's kind of a thing. Can you, can you guys describe what's going on with that movement? If you know, you know much about like when it started or like why now is it starting to like peak and I don't know, just describe what's going on with tiny homes right now. So we, uh, a company called Tumbleweed Homes about 10 years ago, uh, started building custom tiny homes. Uh, they're in the, uh, they're a little higher price point, but they're in custom space. They're, they're a company's done a lot for the industry. Um, they're, I think they produce a couple hundred units a year. And so companies like, so I think what Tumbleweed did and some other companies like them, and they sort of expanded. And, and then you saw like 50 tiny home builders and a hundred tiny home builders. You know, and it was really this like nomadic movement where was, you were living like in the gray area on somebody else's property, um, you know, borrowing the utilities, maybe you're on solar. And then 2016, uh, California started started putting some regulations in place to uh, fix the building industry. You know, essentially, the environmentalists and, and you know, I'm a conservationist. I I have an extreme appreciation for national parks, but CEQA essentially destroyed the building industry. And CEQA basically allows for anybody to put a, to sue a developer who's trying to put a housing track or any kind of development in place. So California is like, okay, we went too far one direction. Now we got to bring it back. So they started putting laws in place that said, hey, if you want to build a uh, unit in your backyard for either a family member or somebody else, you know, we're going to make it a little easier and we're going to reduce the fees. And then the next year they put another rule in place. And then by 2018, they started really putting, you know, like one law after another in place. And then 2020, the wheels fell off. Um, if anybody wants to, uh, if anybody wants, we can put a link in. Uh, you can put a link in the description one later. I did a whole presentation on the rule changes for California. Um, they can they can download that. But essentially, California said, "I don't care if you're in an HOA. I don't care what your CCNRs are. I don't care what what anybody says. You can build a unit in your backyard." And then when that when in, when that came into place, uh, there's a guy uh, Dan Fitzpatrick um, with the uh, Tiny Home Industry Association. He's doing a lot for the industry. He's passed he passed the Fresno bill, which was the uh, first um, first, uh, not bill, but you know, city rate, I don't I have a brain for it. City regulation, you essentially allowed people to put yep. tiny homes up there. And then he went city by city and he, he passed LA and LA has by far the best regulations around tiny homes. You can just roll them in, you meet their minimum requirements, apply for a permit, it's super low cost. You can get a unit back in LA. San Diego followed San Jose, uh, parts of Sonoma, like, you know, all parts of California, seen across the United States. So really, I would say the law changes, the ADU law changes were the biggest catalyst in 2020. And people saw them coming from 20, 2018 to 19, and they started gearing up. But I, you know how Elon Musk gave away all his plans, right, for, for the, the Tesla said, here, here's all the patents, knock yourself out. We're sort of in the same place. We need a lot of housing in California, 3 million plus units, right, in the next 10 years. And no one in the industry is producing at mass scale. They're all doing 50 homes, 100 homes, and it's cool. The guy's built a great business, but it's not going to solve the problem. So we need a thousand companies producing a thousand units a year to even touch that um, problem. And so that's why our goal by next year is to have, excuse me, 500 units out the door a year, and then we want a thousand by the following year. And we'd really like to hit 5,000 units a year. Uh, in the next five years, because we could really put a dent in that housing shortage. And what what's cool about this, and this is what I love about startups, is that you could do you could try to do what you're doing now five years ago, and the, the timing it, it just literally would fail. But the market changed, which is like, oh great, look at this opportunity to make a you know to make a huge impact, and, and you're tackling it. So 
Well, what are some, just one more question on general on tiny homes, because you're, you're the first person to come on to talk about like that category. So just to educate the, the listeners a little bit, do most people, what are some reasons someone would get a tiny home in their backyard? Like it, could it be an office? Could it be for their friends? Could they Airbnb it out? I guess why, you know, why would someone tiny home it up um, and, and, get, and go through the process? So I'll go from like the simplest need to the math, right? So just emotional response. Grandma, we saw grandma at the holidays. She's not doing so well. She still wants a place, you know, that's independent, but we need something quickly. We don't have 18 months to wait for permits. Uh, we don't want to spend $200,000 a year building a thousand square foot unit in the backyard. Grandma just needs a really nice place to live that has everything she needs. Let's get a tiny home. Across the spectrum, home office, jam session room, which we had an investor, a friend of ours who had a bunch of jam session rooms for bands. You know, I think that's a cool, uh, cool system. Um, you know, younger kids coming back from college, whatever, right? But then at the, at the complete opposite end of the spectrum, if we're really trying to solve this housing crisis, we have re- at, a, at a 60, 50, 60, 70, even $80,000 price, we're not that high, but across, across the industry, um, you know, you have a sub $500 payment. You take a city like LA and I mean, really all about the Inland empire. Cause you know, a, a studio out here rents for like 900 bucks. you got a $500 payment and a minimum thousand dollars in rent. I mean, you're, you're looking at $500 a month in cash flow. The, if anybody wanted to offset their cost of living, like let's say you want to live close to LA for work, but it's too expensive, but a tiny home in the backyard, suddenly you can afford that home. Right. Or you come out here into the empire and you got a, you got a, $2,000 monthly payment and you're collecting, you know, $1,200 a month in rent on your tiny home on a $500 payment. You have like a, a payment on a house cheaper than a, a small apartment. So there's a personal, emotional, having nothing to do with the finances for reason. But I think that either people who want to reduce the cost of living or people who start by buying it for a family member and eventually move it into a uh, cash flowing business. Um, well, those would be the primary buyers. And, and now with the, the new rules, you could take any single family home, you could convert the garage into a 400 to 500 square foot, you know, two bedroom, one bath. And then you could put a tiny home in the backyard. You actually turn any single family home into a triplex without any exorbitant fees because of the new regulation. Have you ever seen type thing where, you know, you know, in San Francisco and LA, they have these like startup houses where you got five or not a no not five way more than five like 30 people living on a property i could picture like someone having a giant backyard putting all these tiny homes back there and just like the startup village or something like like mm-hmm. do people like do people create or do, I, would would you see a future where some you know developer would be like yo i got this land let's get 30 tiny homes in here and build a little neighborhood is that is that also something that is in line with what you're thinking is that like do people already do that it's, it's also fascinating to me yeah it's, it's already it already exists so there's one they're building in san diego that's got 30 units in it right now um, i met the guy when we were at the tiny home show down there uh you're you're you can take the old mobile home park model um so what's it, okay so here's the interesting part we are building our tiny homes in a manufactured home facility right they're coming out they're coming out of a manufactured home factory from the national the national builders so we can go nationwide super quickly, but also we get speed of production. That brings costs down and allows them to put them anywhere. So take all these high cost areas and you take all these old tired garbage mobile home parks. Let's say you just never, let's say you, you, you never built another one, just took the existing mobile home parks. You can fit two tiny homes in every one mobile home park space 
which means if you had a previous $600 space rent, right? Now let's say you up it to 800 bucks, but divided by two, now you reduce space rent down to $400 per person. Now it's more affordable. And you have this tiny home, right? And it's called out another $400 payment. Now you have 800 bucks. Well, now where you could, you could previously have, let's say 100 units. Now you get 200 units and have, a, have twice as much affordable housing. Now you take any other, okay, so I'm working on one right now. My draftsman is drawing a 100 unit park for us right now. Um, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, uh, our old business partner gave us the term uh, THC. The uh, tiny home community is um, the uh, aptly named and very, uh, uh, but I mean, it's, it's exactly what it is, right? And so, Sounds yeah, like a tiny home community. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. So it's, it's, I mean, I realize that a lot of the tiny home movement has been very nomadic, very hippie-ish, right? But the reality is a lot of mainstream people, people that are just regular, whatever your job is, right? You're not, you're not making $100,000 a year, but you want to live in California. James, our draftsman, is, is working on one that's a city lot, right? So we can go to the city and say, hey, look at this affordable housing project we built. We are only going to own the dirt. So it would just be space rent. And then what we'll do is we'll put one of our tiny homes um, in like, you know, like a model, like a track model. And then people who want to live there will come up to us, come to walk our unit. Salesperson say, hey, do you want to buy a tiny home? Pick your space. They'll say, I want space 87. And then they buy our unit and then we deliver it to their site they already planned and they live there as long as they want. And, you know, the mobile home park, and this is, this is what people don't know about the mobile home park industry. It costs between five to $8,000 to move a mobile home. If you're already having a hard time making, let's call it a $400 space rent, why does anybody think you're going to have $8,000 to move a mobile home? So a lot of people end up being homeless just because they have to move out of the mobile home and they can't take it with them. Tiny homes are on wheels. Ours is 12,000 pounds. You can go up to an F-250 and tow it anywhere. So it sort of, it democratizes the park industry because now a park owner can't raise your rent and you have no, no options. You can just drive it away. Call you, you know, if, if grandma's like, I need to move out of this park and move to the other one down the street, that's $300 less a month. She just calls her grandson, he pulls up with a truck and they take it to the next space and it's set up in a new space in two hours. It's, it's, it's so cool. I, one of the things I love about this podcast is I talk to people that are in a world because everyone does it their own thing. That is sometimes so different from what I, what I, in my world, I get to like, just get a peek into a, you know, a, a lifestyle and a type of business, a type of asset class. And just like, I get to do, yeah, I just love it. And, and, and I've always had a little dream of at some point when I come across a little money, like build a little, like, you know, they kind of do what you're talking about, like build a little community of tiny homes, like have it all, you know, like all my like friends in LA or I don't know, like it's, it's a little far off, but at some point when it's financially acceptable for my, like for my like life, I might do it and I'll reach out to you. <laughs> well, don't look at, don't let money be the reason. I know people say that. So we run the Illinois Empire Real Estate Investment Club. It's a, we have like 5,000 members and it's an investment club that doesn't sell books and tapes and whatever. It's just like, it's like a rotary for real estate investors, right? And we tell everybody the same thing. I have never in my life put a single dollar of my own money in any deal I've ever done in 15 years. Hundreds of real estate investment deals. If you want to do a park, dude, don't let money be the reason. Don't save it on your own. There's somebody out there who just can't wait to give you it and get a return. So uh, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't let it be tomorrow. I feel it. Yeah, I feel that. I feel like... But, I'm right now very well positioned to do that with like venture capital with all these like early set. Like I feel like first do what I'm already set to do, mm -hmm. which is some VC stuff. And then, and then as I crush that, just like explore the options. That's what I love about yeah. just, I just love careers and like investing. And anyways, um, speaking of investing, great segue. 
I'm actually an investor in you. I'm an investor in, in back porch homes, which is really exciting because usually for people listening, uh, you can't really invest in, in a company, in a startup, unless you're an accredited investor, which means you have a million dollars in net worth or you make 200 grand for two years in a row for the next year as well. I don't, I'm neither of those, but I used a thing called Republic, which you guys raised money on, which allows me to have equity in back porch homes, which is super fun. would love to hear what was like, I guess two, two questions. Why did you decide to do Republic? Um, and what was it like? I mean, obviously, you know, it, I mean, I won't put words in your mouth. Why did you decide to Republic and, and how do you like the experience pros and cons? So I gave them really good feedback at the end. Um, Sharina, uh, who's one of the reps at Republic who she's super awesome. Um, she is from Riverside where we're at and she went up to the barrier, barrier to work. Um, and then want basically like, and I, I laughed at her reason. She's like, I, I'm getting married. I selfishly want to come back to my hometown, like where her family is. And I was like, that's cool. She goes, so we want to expand to Riverside. So, um, uh, Arav, uh, one of the other, um, you know, essentially, uh, talent finders in the area. Uh, he went to a friend of ours who owns a, a tap room down the road and he's like, I don't need any money, but I know somebody who would, who you should work with. So Rob calls me and I'm like, ah, yeah, whatever with your pitch or everybody's always trying to work some angle. Right. And I just didn't believe anything he said. Um, but I said, sure, let's talk later. Um, and so me and him and Sharina got on the phone and I was like, okay, I like where this is going. Like it, it seems I like, so we, we raise under, uh, typically we raise money under a two, five, one and two F exemption. So we can take 3,500 credit investors. Um, so we have some unaccredited investors invested in our company, friends and family, right? We don't use convertible notes. We use, we use typical uh, structures under the jobs act. And, when I heard about this, I'm like, wait, wait. So we could essentially crowdsource this and it costs us, and I, look, everybody's cost is different, but we had a lot of stuff already prepared. So it was like under $5,000, right? To do this raise. For anybody who's ever done a raise before, they know you're looking at 15, 25, 30, $50,000 depending on your structure, right? If you, all the way from a, a you know, reggae, uh, reggae, reggae plus down to like a typical 2512F, which is really low cost. If, if you're looking to raise capital, Try convertible notes. It's a hell of a lot easier way than the way we do it. We just are used to doing things this way. But um, we got on this call and um, I really like Sharina's story. And that's really what, what got me in. Sharina was the re reason that was like, I was sold. So I told Tom, I'm like, you got to talk to this girl. Like it's really, this company's really neat. And once I knew it was like a spinoff um, from Angel, Angelist. And Naval is like, I mean, anything Naval says I'm paying attention to. So I was like, okay, that had me hooked, right? I was like, all right. And I've, if you look at my Twitter feed, um, it's just basically like 300 VCs that I follow and, and listen to the echo chamber as they all talk about the same thing. Uh, I, I, we started the process and it was really typical, right? You, got, you get with the attorney, you draft your paperwork, you put together your marketing material, right? Depending on what your level of pitch is. Um, they walked us through the process. We drug our feet a little bit. Um, and then we launched and we sent it out to, we have an internal list of like 8,000 people. And so we got our first 25 grand. And so now I don't know how much of this I can, I can actually say, I, ha I can't, I haven't really looked at any of these stuff I'm not supposed to talk about, but so essentially when, when you get to, uh, uh, they want you to hit certain hurdles before they expose you to their investor list, right? They want to, they want you to show some ability to raise capital because that's you know like a, a milestone for, for a, a founder. And then they'll say, okay, we'll give it to everybody. So we hit the we hit their milestones. Um, 
and they emailed it to everybody else and we watched the money just fly in. I was like, holy shit. Like we, we saw a hundred grand come in in like seven days. And I was like, whoa, that's like super fast. Now, don't get me wrong. Like typically we make phone calls and we raise a hundred grand from one person, but to see like hundreds of people, right. And anywhere from, um, you know, a hundred dollars, uh, to, you know, to 2,500 bucks, if that's the company was really neat. So there were some small hangups. Uh, there were, there was, um, uh, issue getting uh, statements out to our investors. They took a while to get approved because they were still hiring people. But I mean, 10% complaints, 90% awesome. Right. And, and everything, every company can improve. Uh, I mean, I guess it goes to show you, we want to do another raise with them. So, I mean, for me, I, if we, and we cut our last one short, we didn't, we didn't think we wanted to borrow as much money or borrow. We didn't borrow, raise as much money as we were raising. Um, yeah, now we need another million bucks. So uh, we definitely need, we definitely need to raise, and we definitely need to take more time to do it. We had, I think you saw in the investor FDA I sent you, um, we had a uh, you know a seven figure check uh, locked in, and COVID hit, and uh, we that was two days before the lockdown, and the stock market turned, and everybody goes, "Holy shit, we lost half of our net worth. Uh, we don't want to write a check right now." So we uh, we hired a CFO um, to go actively look for money, but if if we find the market's a little dry in the next 30 days, we're going to put up a, another Republic raise because now all the barriers are gone. Look, when you invested, when everybody else invested, it was an idea. Now, like we have manufacturing handle, we have, we have uh, uh, the lending side handle, we have installation, we have the whole process handle. Now it's like all the barriers are gone. It's a no brainer. But I, I, I mean, you've probably noticed some of the companies on Republic, like some of them, their ideas are still softly formed and they're doing really well. So uh, I really like the idea that, if it was just a lottery, right? We all, we all have to accept that if we make an investment, we're just setting the money on fire. Um, there are a lot of people out there who want to see, do want to see uh, innovation and even just to throw a hundred bucks at it, just to see what happens. I, I think that's awesome. That's like, it's like the American dream, right? Yeah, it definitely is the American dream. Um, if you see something you, you believe in, you know, you put money in and yeah, it's like, assume that it's going to be gone. And, and two things happen. You, you, um, Sorry, two things happen. Either it doesn't work out, you know, and you can learn from that experience. You build a relationship with that founder or it works out and you're like, make yeah. a lot of money, you know, which isn't as common, but it's just like, there's honestly a win-win because as long as you go in knowing that that money is probably gone, you know, then if you get the upside, then that's great. Um, when I go into uh, just to uh, kind of hear a little bit of the long-term vision and then we'll, we'll go with the, the, um, the last question is so, you know, you have a lot going on. You're very into this industry. You're, you want to be a major, major player in it. Tell me, paint, paint, paint like 10 years from now, like, or 15 years from now, what's the big vision um, for back porch homes and, and what will it look like in a decade or two? In a perfect world, um, we would be, we would be building in every manufacturing plant that's next to a major Metro that has an affordability issue. Um, uh, there are three different major manufactured home builders in the United States uh, with a combination of all of them, somewhere around 300 or 300 and I think it's 392 plants, right? So we have a lot of diversification. Uh, Price-wise, they're all pretty competitive, right? so we can build through any of them. But the risk and cost of building a manufacturing plant uh, at this point, is just, these guys are so good at it, there's no point in doing it. So 10 years from now, we should be a nationwide if not somewhat international um, 
you know, retailer of tiny homes. We are essentially like, look, I, I, I say this for comparison, not because I believe we're, we're at that scale in any way, but we want to be sort of like the, the Apple of, of tiny homes because Apple, man, well, now they're bringing stuff back to the United States, but essentially manufacture stuff, right? Third party, they design and they sell. That's what we do. We design the units and we sell the units. If you were a um, nationwide car chain, right? So, uh, you know, somebody owns, let's say somebody owns 50 car dealerships throughout the country and they sell, I don't know, 100,000 units a year. Um, that's a big, that's a big organization, right? But their margins are, are not what ours are. And so it's kind of interesting. In 10 years, it's very realistic. We could be a multi-billion dollar company affecting every major metro area. And it'd be super interesting to fly over I, I imagine a drone just going over cities and then you just see lines of back porch homes. I know that's like a ridiculous vision, um, but shit, I mean, if, we, if at some point we're putting 10,000 units a year out, I mean, there's no reason why that can't be somewhat of a reality. I mean, when things start working, it's like no, there's no limits, like exponential, like obviously you got to get past the trough of sorrow, start growing. But once you start getting that like exponential growth, like, it, like it's just kind of an, it's, it's, a, it's a market, you know, question. And it's like a unit economic question. And if, if it all makes sense, like you can go as like, you can go far to like any, any, any company. And it, based on where you're at, you know, with the experience that you have, especially with your co-founder and like, you know, what the space you're in and your resiliency with, with what's gone on this year, like, I mean, I feel, I feel good. I feel like my, my hundred dollars is in a good place to, um, to, to, uh, and maybe I'll put in, you know, if you raise another one, like that'd be great. You know, it gives me a chance to support more. So. Um, it's funny you, you mentioned Trophosaro because I think we full blown hit that by March. I think we hit, I think we hit the shitty, slow, annoying paperwork, grunt work sucks to even just be doing this. And most people's like sort of trough of sorrow is anywhere from like a year to year and a half. And uh, like I wrote in my uh, investor up there, right? James Altucher's uh, quote was, you know, remote and accelerate. <laughs> Dude, if this thing did anything, it took us from like bubbly, everything could be awesome to full blown catastrophe that we had to overcome in like 90 to 120 days. Uh, I could kind of be thankful that COVID just pushed us to slam this into like the most difficult part of the company transition. Um, and uh, and now, I mean, shit, we have units coming off the line. And I mean, dude, it's the day, the day I put a unit in somebody's backyard, because I already have what I already, we have already set up. It's one of our primary investors. He bought the first unit. We're going to put his backyard. I'm, you know, like the first sale, people always say like the first sale. When we got the first sale, it was pretty cool. But that first install, the successful from like, we used 70 year old manufactured home standards to bypass all the government restriction and put units, units in people's backyards. That's going to be cool because nobody can figure that puzzle out. And somehow by some stroke of 20 different people's genius, we did. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's what, what happens when you put founder, like good founders on like a, a, a fun market, a fun problem. They just figure it out for my, for my last question. I'm curious, um, you know, you have a big vision and you're, it's going to take a lot of work to get there. You're going to need a lot of people to buy homes, you know, you need employees, all this stuff, but, but you'll definitely need help from the forward thinking founders community. So for my last question is, what is an ask that you have for the listeners? Is there anything that the listeners might be able to do or have that might be able to help you out? 
other than the obvious, like you'd have an introduction to an investor that actually could help us in some way, right? Everybody wants money plus they want like help, right? The infrastructure. Um, if somebody in this community has one friend, right? That you're like, that's the person, that's the person that needs to buy one of these units. The reality is in order for this company to take off, we need one to 200 sales, right? We've got a couple dozen. Um, if we had one to 200, $500 deposits, I could go out tomorrow and get a bank loan for two to $3 million and we could go a hundred miles an hour. Right now we're going about 30. Going 30 miles an hour building a company sucks. So the one ask, it's just find one friend. If you have one friend that could benefit in some way from our homes, show it to them and see if they can buy a unit. That's, that's really all it is. All right. Well, I mean, just back porch homes is, is it back porch homes.com. If someone wanted to yep. find cool back porch, back porch homes.com and they can check it out. Um, and then also be on the lookout. If, if you guys do another Republic raise, you know, if anyone's listening, you can invest, you know, anyone can, if I can, you can. So Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. It's fun learning all about the, the tiny home industry and how you're going to take it on. And um, look forward to just following along and helping out where I can. Best of luck to you, you know, making it happen. No, thanks. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you for tuning in to that episode of Forward Thinking Founders. I really want to thank our sponsors of today's episode, Turing, for supporting June's episodes of Forward Thinking Founders. If you are a startup founder or a CEO and have any need for technical talent or need an engineering team, specifically a remote engineering team, I highly encourage you to check out Turing.com and see what they can do for you. They have a two-week risk-free trial where you can check out what they have going on and if you go over to turing.com t-u-r-i-n-g.com tell them matt sherman sent you tell them matt sherman six six being the month of june thanks for listening to today's episode and i'll see you tomorrow peace